A warm welcome and thank you for joining us for the first episode of Beyond the Gates, an anthology of dark morality tales written by me, Emmelina Gateman, and my partner Chad Alexander. Each episode is standalone, with the next one released in two weeks. Stay to the end to hear a promo for an upcoming audio drama from Soul Twin Audios. And now, episode one, Postmodern Justice. Annabelle, why don't you tell Grandpa how much you love him? I know it's not fair for you to have to see your old granddad like this. Hospital isn't a place for kids. Go on. Tell him. I love you, Grandpa. I love you too, sweetie. More than you could ever know. More than all the flowers in the world. Are you going to heaven? Well, yeah, I am. And I'm going to see Grandma and that little furball Archie too. Really? Yeah. And we're all going to play together on the greenest fields you've ever seen. (laughs) Hopefully his breath smells a bit better in heaven. (laughs) And his bum. (laughs) Oh, Dad. I don't want you to go, Grandpa. I know you don't. But your mum will look after you. With a lot of help from you. It should see you through. Just be careful how you spend it. You don't want anyone to catch on. I know. I don't just mean the money. I mean thanks for being a great dad Oh, come on, Tracy. I was never a great dad to you. But I tried to make up for it as best I could. Listen, about me and your mum. Dad. No, no, no. Listen, what happened between me and your mum? I know it always upset you. I never forgave myself. Dad, it's okay. Don't be sorry for who you are. But I do feel guilty. Don't. She did fine after the divorce. And so did I. It just took time. Times were different. People were less accepting. I know, but... Dad? Dad? We need help here! A man on his deathbed reflects on a turbulent life as he says goodbye to his loved ones. But Mr. Johnson will soon discover that his journey is not quite over yet. Not by virtue of divine grace, but by the hands of man. Because for Mr. Johnson, son's sins will not go unpunished, as we journey beyond the gates.
What's happening? Where am I? Okay, handcuff him. Oh, get off me. What are you doing? Please don't worry, Mr. Johnson. They'll read you the charges and then I'll explain everything. Christopher Johnson, you have been reanimated using molecular reconstruction technology. The warrant for your reanimation was granted by His Honour, Judge Martin Howard, in line with Section 4 of the Restoration for Historical Crimes Act 2050. What the hell was going on? You have been summoned to stand trial for the unpunished crimes of your lifetime. You are hereby charged with burglary what? under Section 9 of the Theft Act 1968. Oh, I don't believe this. If found guilty, you will be sentenced in accordance with the guidelines at the time that the offence was committed. You are eligible for legal aid and have been granted representation from the Foundation for the Retrospectively Accused. If you are unhappy with your solicitor, you can appeal. Do you need me to repeat anything? I wish to take my client for private consultation. Very well. Come, Mr. Johnson. This way, Mr. Johnson, please. We shouldn't waste time. Okay. Where are we going? Why does my head... Don't worry about that. My head... The headache is short-lived. Where are you taking me? To a private interview room. We need to discuss your case. Who are you? I apologise, Mr Johnson. My name is Mark Stevens. I am a solicitor at the Foundation for the Retrospectively Accused. It's a non-profit organisation supporting defendants in the Phoenix Trials. I'm here to offer you representation. We're here, Mr Johnson. Please, take a seat. Make yourself comfortable. Where's Tracy? Oh... Your daughter. I'm very sorry, but it's 2067. I'm afraid she's no longer with us. No longer with us? I'm very sorry. What about Annabelle? Yes, your granddaughter. She's well, uh, 52 this year, lives in Leicester with her husband and two children. She teaches piano. I want to see her. You can't see her. I want to see her. You can't see her. It's against the rules. Listen, you're obviously not the first person to be reborn in... Sorry, I mean reanimated. Reborn is my term. You're not the first person reanimated to stand trial. Not even close. I always keep a file on everyone's relatives for when they ask. Maybe one day they'll allow visits again. My daughter? What about my daughter? I'm sorry, but I've already said that... You can bring her back, can't you? You can bring her back. They won't. What do you mean they won't? They can. They brought me back. It's against the law. You're a criminal, Mr Johnson. She's not. There are issues around consent. She wouldn't want to be dead. Even if that were the case, there are limited resources. I don't think it's right. I don't think anyone has the right to play God. But unless you know the right people or you have the money, it's not going to happen. Not with this government. Well, think of something. You know, they used to bring back celebrities when the technology was first used. Privately funded, of course. Imagine this. 
the celebrities would be resurrected without any residual rights to their estate and then shamelessly hoard out. Of course, they would inevitably lose public favour or fade into obscurity, commit social media suicide, something like that. They only ever lost investors' money. Money. It's always about money. Then there were the thinkers, the mathematicians, the scientists. They brought them back too. The ones they could, of course. The technology isn't perfect. They put them to work like horses at a mill. Most of them lost their minds and topped themselves. It's all a bit grim, really, I'm Crowdfund. Afraid. We'll crowdfund. I'm sorry I don't follow. Well, we'll crowdfund. Raise money to bring my daughter back. No, Mr Johnson, you would never raise the money. And they wouldn't allow it, believe me. You're not the first to want to bring back a dead relative. It's illegal. And even if it wasn't, your daughter wouldn't be front of the queue. No offence. What do you mean? She was a saint. I mean, she was... She lived a full life. Be thankful. A lot of people aren't that lucky. I don't care. I'll figure something out. A couple of years and the neck and then I'll get out to work. Get Tracy back, resurrect her. I'll go live in Leicester with Annabelle. Go be a family again. It's not that simple, Mr Johnson. And it's not going to happen. I'm <sighs> sorry. Why is this happening to me? I think the Phoenix Trials are a disgrace. But I don't make the rules. What's important now is that we prepare you for sentencing. Sentencing? What do you mean, sentencing? What about the trial? You're guilty, Mr Johnson. Burglary of a London jewellery shop. Let's not try to waste our time and efforts trying to fight your case because, quite frankly, you don't have one. But what say do I get? None. It's open and shut. The prosecution has all they need on you. If you try to fight this, not only will you lose, but they'll make an example out of you. You have no choice but to plead guilty. Explain yourself to the judge and hope he takes pity on you. I don't understand. Why me? All I did was nick stuff. I never hurt no one. What about real criminals? Murderers, Nazis, pedos? All crimes are unacceptable in the eyes of someone, including yours. The system is a deterrent, and a pretty good one, admittedly. No one commits a crime when they know that they'll never escape punishment. So what? You're telling me there's no crime now? Well, sometimes people will commit small crimes. Steal a pint of milk, that sort of thing. It's a thrill. Helps people feel free. But then it comes to sentencing, and they're hit with a heavy fine and a prison sentence just to make an example out of them. Why doesn't anybody do anything? Fear. Of government and each other. I'll give you an extreme example. Let's say that a man molested your daughter when she was young. Would you have stood up for his rights? <laughs> I'd have broken his neck with my bare hands. So that's a no. Who would stand up for that man's rights? See, that's the problem. When no one wants to be seen standing up for deplorables, sooner or later, no one wants to stand up for anyone's indiscretions, including those of a deplorable like you. But it's not the same thing. Maybe so, maybe not. But take my advice and tread carefully. No one in a position of authority likes to be challenged. I'm what you might call a bleeding heart liberal.
but there aren't too many of us around these days. Don't give the prosecution the benefit of playing the rebel. When you're out in that dock, remember to be gracious, humble, and above all, repentant. For God's sakes, be repentant. Now, if you don't have any more questions, I think that we should discuss your statement. His Honour, Judge Martin Howard. Christopher Johnson, you were accused of the March 3rd, 1993 robbery of the Samuel and Goldsmith jewellery shop in High Wycombe, a crime for which you have pleaded guilty to committing. Following a statement of mitigation from your solicitor, it will fall to Mr. Henry Tyler of the prosecution to assist the court in examining your motives and character. Mr. Stevens, would you like to make your statement? Yes, Your Honour. My client pleaded guilty to the crime of burglary, a crime for which he has shown remorse. Whilst my client would never try to minimise the impact of his crime, it is perhaps worth noting that the theft had a near negligible long-term impact on the business from which he stole. Whilst my learned friend will try to rightly draw attention to my client's level of culpability, it should not go without saying that Christopher was born impoverished to unstable parents and with few positive role models. By the time he was in his twenties, he was a lost and troubled man. It is perhaps then, to the testament of his character, that his crimes were not more severe and that he was able to turn his back on the criminal lifestyle to become a loving family man. I plead with you, Your Honour, to take into consideration the circumstances which contributed to the crime for which Christopher is humbly sorry. It will now be for Mr. Tyler of the prosecution to examine the convict. Mr. Johnson, do you feel sympathy for the employees of the store you robbed? The employees whose lives you threatened? The sleepless nights, the trauma you inflicted upon them? I do. I never harm no one physically, but I know I hurt them in other ways. <laughs> I never took joy from it. It's a small consolation for the victims, though. So, from what you say, it sounds as if you took responsibility for your crime. Very much so. And I'm sure you lay on your deathbed in regret of all you'd done wrong, except one small detail you seem to omit. You didn't confess your crime or return the money you stole. You gave it to your daughter, didn't you? I gave it to my daughter to help her, because I love her. And she needed the money. A man who loves his daughter so much that he lands her with a six-month custodial sentence for the handling of what? stolen goods. I didn't know. I, I wasn't told. What did you think would happen? Hardly father of the year. I love my daughter, you smarmy prat. Your veil of respectability is slipping, Mr Johnson. Who the hell do you think you are? You don't know respect. You don't know what it was like for people like me growing up. I didn't have money. I didn't have any opportunities. So what? I nick some stuff. There are plenty of people with your upbringing who didn't go on to commit crime. And there are plenty of people who grew up how I did and died in squalor before their time. I didn't choose to be born where I was. I didn't choose a drunk thug for a father. I didn't choose to get beaten up for being a puffter. But you did choose to rob shops. You did choose to commit crime. You need to join us in the real world, Mr Johnson. 
You wouldn't know the real world if it spat in your face. My upbringing is beside the point. So is this. Jesus Christ, it's on my face! How'd you like that, tough? Enough! Does the defence have anything further to add before sentencing? No, Your Honour. Then I see no reason to postpone sentencing. Christopher Johnson, perhaps more heinous than the lack of remorse shown for your offence is your utter disregard for this courtroom, and more egregiously, for the justice it represents. I'll recommend that you be tried separately for your assault of Mr. Tyler. With regard specifically to the charge of burglary, I must sentence you within the guidelines applicable to 1993, as this was when the crime was committed. These guidelines are, unfortunately, much, much less strict than our current sentencing standards. And whilst I admire the courage it took to confess, there was never much question of your guilt. You have shown little to no remorse for your crime, and let me assure you that your difficult upbringing does not constitute extenuating circumstances. I therefore sentence you to five years in prison. During this period, in acknowledgement with your condition, you will be kept alive using all reasonable medical assistance available. After your five-year sentence has been served, you will be put to death. Death? That is all. What do you mean, death? What about my family? I want to see my family. Oh, this can't be real. I, I can't take this. Help me. That is all. Help, please. Y Your Honour, please, please. Five years is a long time to be locked away. Deprived of your freedom. Separated from your loved ones. Given too much time for your darkest thoughts to manifest. But, in a fortuitous twist of romantic fate, Mr. Johnson will spend the better part of his sentence with a kindred spirit. Alright, get in your cell. I hope your new mate doesn't get too frisky with you. <laughs> Hi mate, I'm Patrick. Welcome to your new home. I'm afraid it's not quite the Ritz. I, I, I can't do this, I can't do this! Hey, it's alright. We'll get through this together. I promise. Mr Johnson knew he would not see freedom again, nor the loving smile of his beloved granddaughter. His only comfort was the warm embrace of his cellmate, then, one day, Mr. Johnson's sentence was served. It was time for him to die. Taken from his cell and strapped to a gurney, Mr. Johnson was put to death by lethal injection. At 3.08pm, Mr. Johnson died for a second time. Death is the inevitable conclusion of life, but for Mr. Johnson, it is not yet over. Christopher Johnson. No, please, no! You have been reanimated using molecular reconstruction technology. <laughs> the warrant for your reanimation was granted by His Honour, Judge Henry Tyler. Tyler? In line with Section 4 and 12 of the amended Restoration for Historical Crimes Act 2050, 
you have been summoned to face a review of your previous sentence and to face charges under the Sexual Offences Act 2087. The officer will now take you to the dock. Come with me. Where's my solicitor? You really are from a different time, aren't you? I'm taking you straight to the dock. Sit there. His Honour, Judge Henry Tyler. Tyler, you bastard. This is a stitch-up. Quiet down, Mr Johnson. I am very thankful that the Supreme Government has implemented new sentencing guidelines which allow me to extend your sentence under current guidelines rather than those at the time the crime was committed. I reviewed your case and will be sentencing you today. I have the honour and pleasure to see that justice will be served today. You have previously admitted guilt to burglary, a crime for which you have served a sentence of five years. There is also incontrovertible evidence that you engaged in perversity with your then cellmate, Patrick Glynn. Would you like to make a statement, Mr Johnson? What could I possibly say that would change your mind? I have nothing to say to you. In March 1993, you burgled a jewellery shop in High Wycombe. You entered the shop shortly before closing and threatened the life of innocent staff members with a short-barreled shotgun. You then held one member of staff at gunpoint That's not as you how demanded the other fill a bag with money and valuable jewellery. That's not how it happened. Enough, Mr Johnson. Any more interruptions and I might rule you in contempt of this court. You made your getaway, but you left the staff of that shop with sleepless nights, horrific trauma and PTSD from which they may never have recovered. You then proceeded to fence the goods and spend the money with no thought given to the victims of your crime. Not content with all the harm you had caused, you then entangled your daughter in your criminal lifestyle by sharing with her your ill-gotten wealth and landed her with a prison sentence. Would you like to make a mitigating statement, Mr Johnson? No, but you'll get yours one day. Very well. Then I'll deliver my sentence. While the sentencing guidelines of 1993 were unduly lenient, I am in the fortunate position to be able to extend your sentence for another five years, which is what you will receive. And there is, of course, one other matter to attend to. When the court previously rightfully sentenced you to face punishment for your crime, you mocked the justice by engaging in perverse and unnatural acts with your cellmate, didn't you? I loved him. You can't romantically love someone of the same sex, Mr. Johnson. I sentenced you to an additional five years imprisonment for sodomy under the Sexual Offences Act 2087. And whilst chemical castration is not mandatory, I highly recommend for your own moral reclamation that you apply for it. Christopher Johnson, you are a thief, a pervert, and all-round deplorable. That is no. all. Please, I, I, I can't take this. Let me take you to your cell, pervert. No! Ten years is a long time. Loneliness, beatings, hard labour between long stretches of isolation. Ten years is a long time to be deprived of freedom and dignity. Then, one day, Mr Johnson's sentence was served. It was time for him to die. Taken from his dirty cell and strapped to a gurney, Mr Johnson was once again injected with a burning cocktail of lethal chemicals, thrashing wildly until he expired. Mr Johnson died a broken and tormented man. Death is the inevitable conclusion of life, 
But for Mr. Johnson, it is not yet over. Because in this particular case, society has decided that justice has not yet been served. Christopher Johnson, you have been reanimated using molecular reconstruction no! technology. Please, no! I can't do this again! No, no, Christopher, Christopher. It's okay. Listen, it's not what you think. You're safe now. Henry Tyler, he was the man who prosecuted your original Phoenix trial and conducted the review. I know who he is. Well, he's been convicted for his role in the Phoenix trials. They've been outlawed and anyone who participated in them is facing charges. The court wants you to give a character statement based on your experiences. You can help put him away for life. And then what? You kill me? No, Mr. Johnson. Then you'll be free. Free to live your life to the fullest. A man in your state, I reckon you'll have a good 10, 15 years left in you with the help of technology. You can go discover the new world. And you'll be more than generously compensated by the courts. I want to see my granddaughter. I'm sorry, but you can't. I'm afraid she's long past. <laughs> what about Patrick? I'm sorry. You have stood witness to a justice system which has dealt immoral absolutes as and when it sees fit. A justice system with an inhumane obsession with eradicating crime. A system which does not recognize nuance nor any benefit in the social value of delinquency or of conscientious objection. With a focus so strongly in deterrence it robs its citizens of a sort of freedom that helps inhibit the spiral into authoritarianism. While some crimes seem too abhorrent to transcend cultural norms, the lines we draw can be fragile and ambiguous. Perhaps one prescription, to never wander too far from the golden rule. So after what you have witnessed in the case of Mr. Johnson, at what stage can we ask, has justice been served? Episode 1 of Beyond the Gates, Postmodern Justice was written and produced by Emmalina Gateman and Chad Alexander. It starred Paul Martin as Christopher, Matt Doyle as Tyler, and Paul Warren as the judge. Tracy was played by Charlotte Brown, Stevens by Chad Alexander, and Barrister 1 by Hugh Evans. Barrister 2 was James Risk, and the witness care officer was played by Naomi Madlib. Annabelle was Liam Miko, and Patrick was played by Inyaki Torson Hinoshin. Prison Officer 1 was Zyla Cross, and Prison Officer 2 was J.D. Kelly. The narrator was Suki Brinton. We would like to say a special thank you to Rachel Pulliam of Soul Twin Audios, Douglas Daly and Daryl Caithness for their support. Please join us again next time as we go Beyond the Gates. Has fallen upon the great estates, 
and yet the occupants within lie restless, plagued with their own dark secrets, and longing for a paradise beyond their reach. Is this Collinwood, in the year 1897, or is it Mel Jardin in 1969? Join me as I explore the beginnings of two very distinct gothic soap operas, one with a well-known fan base, while the other has nearly fallen into obscurity. I bid you welcome to my dark paradise.